0: be reminded how to say yes yeah. we live in a world right now yeah. where it, it's so much of of who we are and what we do is about saying no um no I don't believe this and no I don't believe that and no I don't uh, wear a mask and no I don't support this group and no I don't do that but 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 the name of Jesus should be something that all of us can say yeah. yes to that's right we, for, we forgot so long ago when we said, yes, that we would follow you. Yes, you did die for our sins. Yes, you didn't deserve what they gave you. Yes, you did raise from the grave. Yes, you are the son of God. Yes, you do sit yes. up yes. on high. Yes, you do look yes. down low. Yes, you yes. do yes. incline toward us in our tears and yes. our worries and our shame and our pride and our guilt. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Man, when we, Trisha and our parent and and our our kids and and their trauma and so much behind that and. And sometimes we can look back throughout a day, and it gets close to bedtime, and we realize that we've said more no's than we have yeses. And we said, we just don't want to be the type of parents who parent through no, but we want to find ways to say yes. yes. And, and I, I feel that as a Christian, especially in these times, in these days, in these circumstances, we, we find so many times that we're, we're following Christ through no instead of yes. thank you thank you for that reminder. We should have more yeses than we have nos when it comes to being identified by the the, the cross the blood purchased cross of christ yes. good morning fellowship high crest i didn't I didn't mean to get all caught up in that thing like that that quick like that but but good morning fellowship high Crest, wherever you may be joining us from for this time in the word. Today we are continuing on with our series, Citizens and Saints, that, that Braille helped kicked off last week with a look at verses 1 and 2 of chapter 12 of Romans, and we're continuing to walk verse by verse through chapters 12 through 15. And today our, our passage is found on page 682 of those blue Bibles if you normally attend the Highcrest campus. But if you don't, don't worry. If you got a Bible app or you got a paper Bible, we'll be in the New Living Translation and you can follow along with us there. And I know we have one verse, but the length of the passage doesn't, does not describe <laughs> the power in which God and the Holy, his Holy Spirit can use it for in our lives. Right. Once you're there, you'll find it to say this. Because of the privilege and authority God has given me, I give each of you this warning. Don't think you are better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves. Measuring yourselves by the faith that God has given us. This is God's word. You know, the other day I was scrolling through Facebook. (laughs) And I saw this image. And I couldn't help but laugh, (laughs) right? I I couldn't help but laugh. It reminded me of this old radio show where where this guy would tell you some part of a story, a well-known story that you had never heard, give you some facts and details that, that never really get included. And then he would end by saying, and now you know the rest of the story. But let's be real. The world we live in rarely, if ever, gives us the whole story. Nope. Often it leaves us with two equally bad choices, right? And that's why we live our life with so much no. But but often it leaves us either, um, uh, it either mom shames us or makes us look like super mom, which no one can relate to. It either makes us look like super dad or deadbeat dad. It makes us look like model child or problem child. It makes us look like we have it all put together or if our life is a hot mess. Nailed, Nailed it. it. Come on. <laughs> But how do we live a life where we don't have to act like we're good when we're really not, and at the same time, we don't walk around like Chicken Little, like the sky is falling all the time either? Right, right. But that's not only the, a problem for this generation of Christ followers, but it's one that has plagued every generation of Christ followers that has ever existed. And, and Paul addresses this very thing in our focal passage for this morning. In our text, Paul is writing to the believers in Rome. And, and the Roman church, see, it, it was really made up of four to five house churches that had no more than 40 people as a part of each one. And so, if you are inviting your community group and, and their kids and different things of that nature to watch service, what you're doing this, time of distancing, as you've heard us encourage you to do, then you're doing church closer to what we see in the New Testament than probably anything you've done in your probably church history. And although Paul didn't plant the church in Rome, some of the people that helped plant the church in Rome actually helped Paul plant some other New Testament churches. And so, Paul saw this Roman church as a part of his lineage. It was kind of like a grandchild, so to speak. (laughs) But it it was not just uh, Paul's relationship to those who helped launch this church that that motivated him to write. It was his intended um, um, consequences or outcomes that, that forced him to write this letter, that motivated him to write this letter. See, Paul had this vision of of taking the gospel to, to all of the known world. Paul was trying to be obedient to that Acts 1-8 thing. Right. He was really on that Acts 1-8 thing. I know a lot of us say 1-1-6, but we forget about Acts 1-8. And, and so Paul was serious about that. And so he had this vision of taking the gospel to Spain. And so he was hoping that this Roman church would serve as a sending base for his his trip to Spain and so he wrote this letter in them part of the reason why part of the purpose behind it was in hopes that this letter would act as a missions training manual for the church in Rome so that when he got there he didn't have to spend more time getting them ready but they would stay ready so they didn't have to get ready so their hearts would be motivated in a way that some of them would go and join them and the other ones would support the trip Today, Jill and I just want to spend just a few minutes looking at Paul's words in this verse. His instructions to the church in Rome in this verse. To how believers can step off of the image treadmill. Because what you focus on becomes your goal. And Paul had so much more in mind for these Roman believers than just the space they occupied in the social wars of their time. And I believe this is relevant for us. You know, John Dickinson, in his book, Humilitized, asked the question, what is humility? And then he went on to say this. This is a long quote from his book. He went on to say this. He said, Humility does not mean humiliation, even though both words are offspring of a single Latin parent, humilitas. Nor does it mean being a doormat for others, having low self-esteem, or curbing your strengths and achievements. Muhammad Ali was long wrong when he quipped, you know, um, at home I'm a nice guy, but I don't want the world to see that. Um, Humble people, i found, don't get very far. Having strong opinions is no hindrance to humility either. One of the failings of contemporary Western culture is to confuse conviction with arrogance. Humility, rightly understood, is a potential antidote to the hateful political and religious rhetoric we often hear. Left versus right, Christian versus Muslim, and so on. I want to argue that the solution to ideological discord is not tolerance in the postmodern form we frequently find it. The bland affirmation of all viewpoints being equal and valid, but an ability to profoundly disagree with others and deeply honor them at the same time. That's what we're missing. Right. Paul told the believers in those small Roman house churches not to think of yourselves too highly. The Roman culture was a shame and honor culture. And in that culture, there was very much this thought that you had to prove yourself, that you had to that show no weakness, that you were always in competition, that, that you were constantly competing for this exhaustible resource known as saving face or honor. And it was only so much of it. And we all couldn't have it. Therefore, for you to get less means that I could get more. That means that I had to prove why I deserve more and you deserve less at all times, but as we saw from Braille's message last week, those who follow Christ have a new primary citizenship and they now serve under a king where everyone was heir, where, where no one had a right to the throne and where everyone had a right to the throne at the same time. They were all adored They were all created in God's image. They, their valiant worth didn't come through their accomplishments by, by, but by who made them. Their pride would be tempered with humility because what they had, the they had was something that was given to them by grace, not something they earned a wage and this is an important point as we get ready for next week's message. When we start talking about the functions of the body, we, we got to get this before we get there. So many people are concerned about who's gifted and, and who got what and who can do what and if you don't get this, there's a danger, in, it, and here's the danger. See, if the parts of your body start to compete with one another, something is going to die. God is not telling the hand that it shouldn't snap. What he's saying is just because you can snap, don't think that the heart should beat to your rhythm. Right. Have you ever found yourself thinking about how important you are, how much the the church would miss you if you left. They hadn't called me in so much time and, and, and how you should get more honor and why you should get more recognition and why your ministry is more important than this ministry over here. You might be talking from the side of pride. I know this is a hot one. But here's the deal. While there is a real danger in living the one-sided life of pride, there is an equal and opposite danger of living the one-sided life of shame. And often we find that when we can recognize, when we can confess that we have been living in a life of pride, we often overcorrect and begin to live in the life of shame.
1: That's absolutely right. Just like Paul didn't want the Romans to think too highly of themselves and live in this prideful area, he also didn't want them to shrink away and live in shame either. And so we've talked a bit about this honor and shame already, but there are two types. There's ascribed and achieved. In the Roman church culture, it was primarily an ascribed honor, um, which means that their honor depended on their relationships with one another. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. People are honored by their job title, their gender, ethnicity, their family name, Um, and on the flip side of honor is also shame. And so all cultures have a little bit of both, of ascribed and achieved. And so American Western culture here, we value achieved honor more than we value ascribed honor. So this is, I pulled myself up by my bootstraps. This is, I earned it on my own. I made a way for myself. I made a name for myself. Yeah. It's, we started from nothing and became a success started story. Started dirt. Yeah, from the dirt. yeah, absolutely. This is our story. This is how we understand honor and shame. And just like the flip side of honor, it's how we experience shame. And so you might be in your communities or in your family, with your groups of friends, and there's several different ways that shame can play out. Yeah. Okay? You may feel ashamed of your past and your failings, and so you try to hide it. Like, mm. don't go there. It's in the closet. We don't talk about that. You know, like, there's just topics that we just don't go there, and there's parts of our story and our past or history that they're not, they're not for our public eyes, right? Yeah. And so we hide it. Another way that you might experience shame is in your family. Maybe you're the black sheep of the family. Yeah. Um, it He's happens. Like, sheep. you feel like you can't show up and be yourself around your family. You've got to be someone else. Or yeah. just not be yeah. there at all. Um, another way, we seek the approval of others um, or people pleasers. Yeah. That's because you have shame in who you are. You don't see that you have value and honor and worth in yourself and just on your own. And so you seek that out in other people's approval of you. Yeah. Another one, ooh, this one's, this one's a good one, defensiveness. Mm. Um, Who are you talking to? <laughs> yeah, we want to hide behind our wall of defense. Yeah. So someone comes at you and is like, man, you could have done that better, or maybe that was wrong, and you're like, no, I'm going to tell you how I was right. Yeah, <laughs> I'm telling you. And so mm-hmm. it's, it's this wall, it's this protectiveness, because we don't want shame to come on our character. We don't want someone yeah. to, to see something that wasn't for public eyes. Yeah,
0: like, yeah.
1: So though all those different ways, we have this comparison culture, and um, we look around, and we say, you know what? I'm not good enough. Hmm. I'm not good enough, and that keeps us from engaging, and it keeps us from being in community. When we say, I'm not good enough to be there, I haven't earned my right to be there, I, I have too much shame in my life. If they only knew, yeah. they wouldn't welcome me. Yeah, And for me personally, being enough, man, it is a struggle struggle. It is core to who I am. Everything that I've done, like my motivation behind career choices and um, work that I've done, schools that I've gone to, just even good volunteer stuff. So a lot of it is like, are the people in my life going to approve of that? Is that what they want me to do? And so I do it because I think that's what they want me to do. Hmm. And the flip side of this, though, so here's the thing. Like, I might have had some success along the way, and I could paint that good image. Yeah. But there are so many things that I've missed out on because I was concerned that maybe I didn't fit in with that group. I I hadn't earned my right there. Um, Maybe if I said this thing or I stood up about this topic or um, I spoke into this place, that I lose friends over it because they wouldn't think that that's what Jill is. Yeah. Um, or, you know, family, all of that stuff, it comes at a price. And, and because I'm seeking to find my value and worth in my community and the people that I care about instead of what God thinks of me, it means I miss out.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. yeah I, it's, just, it's just so many things I can think about. I mean, <clears throat> Before I moved here, I lived in a town that had beaches in it, and there were so many of the kids um, in, in, the, in the part of where I lived at that just because of socioeconomics didn't know how to swim, so they never went to the beach. Right. They missed out on that. And they're
1: miles
0: away from it, right? And and, and it, it, like, not even miles. <laughs> not even miles. Right. Like, we ain't talking about that. No, no. <laughs> right? they less than a mile away from it. And and I feel like because of shame, a lot of times we sit in that space. Um I know, like, hey, black folks don't do this, mm. and, and if, if you stick to different things, that nature, um, real men don't get therapy. Yeah. When well, you, uh, oh yeah, I mean, oh yeah, <laughs> um, man, Christians, we just pray about this thing. Mm. We, I, I know so many things. We live in this shame deal, and I was, I was telling you earlier, I was listening to some stuff this morning, and this guy was talking about um, this concept of. Uh, Your space of genius and then your space of competence. And he was like, a lot of times we get stuck in the space of competence of just, you just kind of meet the requirements and you kind of stay mediocre um, because you're so worried about what other people are going to say. How, like, man, this is not in your character. This is not that. I mean, you, you see it all the time. I mean, uh, we we go to talk about what we're watching on Netflix, and somebody got to put a precursor. I don't normally watch TV, but when I do, man, quit. Drop that, man. This is for real what you watching. <laughs> like, we feel like we got to preface stuff all the time, and that's just the same shit. And, 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 and so you don't get to your area of genius, which is something that you can do that no one else around you can do in the way that you do it. And, and that's, next week's message goes there mm-hmm. until you drop the shame. Right. But we live in that place. You know, I, I remember hearing um, this, this story by one of my college professors about this this couch buying experience. And he was telling about he they went to the furniture store and they got there and they realized that they forgot their measuring tape now if you if you ever been in this in this um in this predicament you're gonna curse yourself and it's gonna be for one or two reasons you're gonna curse yourself because you drove all the way to the to the furniture store and now you got to turn around and drive home or you're gonna curse yourself because you're gonna buy a couch and then you're gonna get home and it won't be able to fit into your house you can't even get it through the door and then you're going to be looking at each other, sweating, breathing hard, and mad at each other. So if you like like, that, that, that's what happens. So, But what he did, he had this novel idea. He, he had a dollar. He took out a dollar out of his wallet, and he used it to measure all the couches because he knew the length of a dollar bill. He was able to convert it um, into a measurement that met what he knew he had at home. And, and so uh, Paul ends verse three with these words: "Measuring yourselves by the faith God has given us. Faith means trust or reliability a christian 's faith is not in themselves but in the, it's, it, it's a it 's a trust in god it 's a trust in the reliability of God to be trustworthy." to his own promises. Paul was telling the Romans that that while in this world that, and, 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 that, that that's the way it works in this kingdom there are only two choices there's honor and there's shame that that in the kingdom of God the good news is that that Christ is the universal measure. It is in Christ that we recognize our deficiency to stand before the God of the universe, but it's also in the person and work of Christ through grace and mercy that we realize our sufficiency to stand before the God of the universe. It is his grace alone that is the only measure that gets us out of the ruts of pride and shame. It is in Christ alone that the only measure that makes us more humble and at the same time helps us to realize our real value. It is in Christ alone that he's the only measure that helps to keep us grounded and also lifts us up at the same time. It makes us more humble. It sees our value. It's through Christ alone that he is the ultimate conversion factor. So the question is, where are you finding your worth? Are you finding your worth in your accomplishments and pride? Or in how much pain you can carry and shame? Or in the one who bore your shame and conquered death, sin, and shame uh, for your good? The one who did what you couldn't do. The one who achieved that none of us, what none of us could achieve. Where are you finding your word?
1: Yeah. So we should not be too prideful of ourselves or the gifts God has given us. Yeah. But we shouldn't swing in the opposite opposite spectrum of shame. We shouldn't live and hide ourselves either. Instead, we as believers in Christ should take a cross-centered view of ourselves. Yeah. We need to see ourselves the way God sees us through the work his son did on the cross. I'm thinking back to that image at the beginning that Jonathan shared with yeah. Prince William and these two pictures, and there's um, maybe a truth picture yeah. and a, a lie picture, yeah. <laughs> a manipulated picture. Yeah. And uh, sometimes that's true about ourselves. We have the wrong perspective of who we are. Yeah. Um, maybe it's an image that's better than what we think it is. Maybe we think of ourselves less than what God does. Mm. And so... Sometimes we live in this space without the whole story. It's a partial story, and it's a broken story. And what we need and what we desire and want is the full story, the rest of the story. Well, the rest of the story is Jesus, right? Like God sent his good and perfect son to live here on earth and to show us what it means to live a balanced and whole life where we're fully who he desired us to be. He showed us how to do that, but he also knew that there was no way we were going to be able to do that. Like, there was no way that we were going to be able to live this good and perfect life on our own. And so, he also knew that by sending his son here, his son was going to die and become a sacrifice so that gap could be bridged between our broken and partial selves to the full and whole self that gets to live with God and experience relationship with Him because God chooses to look on His Son instead of us. And so, maybe you're in that space where you're, you're ready to say, I'm done doing this on my own. Yeah. I can't do this on my own. Can't God, there's nothing that I could do. I can't be good enough, do good enough. I can't earn my way into relationship with You. And it's just not working for me anymore. Um, what What we would call that is stepping over the line of faith. You're ready to say, God, I acknowledge that I got it wrong and I'm not going to get it right. And you sent the way, right? You sent the way in your son, Jesus. And I acknowledge that. I acknowledge that he's good and perfect and that his sacrifice means that I get to spend uh, the rest of my life here on earth and in eternity worshiping and serving you, God. And I want to do that. I'm acknowledging that my desire is to give my whole life to you. If you're ready to do that, I'm going to pray here in a moment. And it's going to be no special words, no special order. It's just a prayer acknowledging who God is, who I am, and that I want to give the rest of my life to him. If it's your first time doing this, then we ask you, reach out to us. Let us know. We want yeah. to encourage you. We want to support you. We want to help you take those first few steps, walk alongside you. That's what is discipleship. So if you want to reach out and talk to us, you can do it in the comments section, on Facebook, you can do it in YouTube. You can also text FBC1 to 41411. That's FBC1 to 41411. And someone's going to reach out to you this week. And we're going to love on you and we're going to tell you um, how we're going to walk alongside you and encourage you in these first few steps in your faith journey with Jesus. Okay, Mm -hmm. let's pray. Father, I come to you today. And I thank you so much, so much that you gave your son, that he came here and he died for us because we knew, like you knew that we are going to live in pride, we're going to live in shame, but we can't figure it out on our own. And we, sometimes we just sway back and forth. and We don't know our own selves. We don't have a right view of who we are, but God, you sent your son Jesus to be that sacrifice to be that sacrifice that you, if we believe in him, that we get to have relationship with you and that you send your Holy Spirit to guide us, Lord, to know, to be able to figure out what does it mean to have a Christ-centered view of myself? What does it mean to show up and be holy who I am and who you created me to be? You're a good God that loves us and we thank you so much for that. And we acknowledge that we want to spend the rest of our lives pursuing you, pursuing who you are and your good works and your good deeds, Lord, we want to get our approval from you. We want to get our self-worth and our value from you, God. I just say, thank you so much, and we love you. In your name I pray, amen.